This is Calgary Today with Angela Cocott on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Of course, we've had lots of debate this week about Bill C-14, and that's the assisted dying bill. And today, the Senate is debating Bill C-14. I thought this was a great opportunity to be able to share the story of someone I know who has gone through this from the family perspective. Growing up in the Netherlands, where euthanasia has been legal for a long time, he recently lost his father. But I wanted to bring in Marco Vanson to find out exactly how it was especially from a son's perspective. Marco, thanks so much for coming in. No problem at all. And I'm also um, broadcasting this live on Facebook. If you want to go to Facebook, News Talk 770 Calgary, you can watch a bit of this conversation. Marco, give me a little bit of background on your father and his disease he was dealing with. Uh, My father um, was diagnosed about essentially exactly a year ago with uh, cancer of the esophagus that had spread to his lungs and into his uh, lymph nodes Um, and uh, essentially was given about three months to live last year. Um, He has always been of the mind that he did not want to prolong his life and extend his life beyond the point where suffering was unbearable and essentially started the procedures for euthanasia right away when he found out. It was a a decision that he made right away, but we were all aware of it. This was not a shock to us. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though he was terminal, he still decided to go ahead and do treatment. Um, He went through, I believe, 31 sessions of chemo. Uh, sorry, of radiation. He did uh, four chemo treatments and essentially some of it grabbed, but not really to a point where he was going to be cured. And there was never an indication he was going to be cured. Everything they did was to make his life more tolerable. He has cancer of the esophagus though, yes, right? Yes, so... right, uh, right at the entrance of the stomach. Oh, okay. uh, my father had an operation done about 40 years ago uh, where he had a fracture in his diaphragm. And they gave him a 10% chance to fix it or he had to live off liquid food for the rest of his life. He didn't want to do that. You know, that was my father. So he made the decision to do the operation. And successful operation, had a good life 40 years after that. But that particular operation has a procedure. They pull a part of his stomach into the esophagus. And there's lots of research out there that shows that it can turn to cancer. And his doctors missed that it started the cancer and two years after his first symptoms started, they did find the cancer. Mm. So a little bit of a medical, yeah, uh, mistake in the end that they actually didn't catch it early. And the only reason I want to clarify that is because if you're talking about chemo and radiation, sometimes people think of the esophagus and not realizing. So where the treatments are taking place, it's probably uh, sometimes it's worse than the cure almost. In some sense, you know, it's the, the chemo, uh, was hard on him yeah. uh, because essentially he got to a point where nothing tasted right anymore. He felt nauseous most of the time. So it was a hard process. But because my father was always a very healthy and strong person, they actually said, why don't we try this? Yeah. Right. Even though they called him a terminal patient. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to do that. Um, then over time, his esophagus started to close off. 
And of course, eating was getting harder. He wasn't able to get food down anymore. So the next step was how to keep the esophagus open. And what they can do is they put a stent right at the bottom by the stomach entry that keeps the esophagus open. Mm -hmm. So that procedure he did, and that was done in about mid-November, and the pain was really unbearable for him at that time already. So... um, at that point, I actually went back to the Netherlands because my mother called and she said, you know, I'm not sure he's going to make Christmas because the pain was so bad at that point. And he started talking again about, you know, I don't want to do this anymore if it's this way. Um, went over, saw the process. He was in an extremely high amount of pain for my father who has done a lot of operations in his life and has a very high tolerance for pain on top of it. And you know, went through the process of seeing him at that point, in that process. Um, Then towards Christmas, things started to improve a little bit. The stent seemed to settle in, and um, actually he went off morphine completely by January. Um, So for two months, he had a really good period. And then in February, my sister's family with my mother and my father, they went to an amusement park. He rode in a roller coaster, and they think that the roller coaster ride has dislodged that stent. Oh, my God. Caused internal bleeding, and they had to go in and remove it. And essentially, at that point, the cancer got free reign again. So, again, had to make decisions what to do with it. Um, so he went back in to do another stent, knowing that the pain was going to be unbearable for six weeks again. And at that point, his oncologist gave him one last option, which was a double dose of chemo. He started that, got extremely sick from it, yeah, and decided at that point, I can't do this anymore, and uh, I want to end my life um, at that point. Can you go back to the roller coaster? So yeah. this is your father saying, let's go on the roller coaster run? Absolutely. He, you know, he, he wanted to live at the fullest. You know, he did not want any of his disease to stop him, right? So he wanted to have, you know, if he was going somewhere, he was going to go all out. How old was he, in his 70s? He was 71 when he passed away. Let's take a break here. All right, so he, he decides that he doesn't want to go further with this process. I want to understand then what the steps are in the Netherlands when it comes to saying, I want to end my life. My guest this half hour is Marco Vanson, and he is just sharing the story that he had of his father's final days as we have this whole conversation around physician-assisted dying. I'm Angela Kogat. You're listening to Calgary Today on News Talk 770. Back after this. Marco Vanson is my guest this half hour, and he recently experienced the idea of a physician-assisted dying, but it's in the Netherlands where it's been legal for many years, and he's sharing a story of his father and how his father wanted to die this way. But Marco, back up, because in the Netherlands, as I said, it's been legal for many years. So did you just grow up knowing that, well, some people make this decision at the end of their lives? Um, I think, I'm not, I don't exactly know when the date was right. when they made it legal, but it's it's been probably 20 years or so um i come from a culture where these things are just accepted much more readily look at drug the same policies right the netherlands is known for that we have a much more tolerable tolerable policy around these kind of things and i think people just accepted it much more readily as a humane way to go in Mm. a sense so your father decides that you know what i'm i'm done with living this Mm -hmm. way so what was the process what were the steps 
Okay, so uh, so my father did the second, the, the the really heavy chemo, got really sick from that, and essentially said, I'm done. I don't want to do it anymore. Stopped the chemo and basically said, I'm going to start the process. Um, not first time. He had all his paperwork on order already before we got to this point. So about, I think this was early May, um, he called his physician, his regular uh, family doctor. She was out of town on vacation. So he talked to her replacement and said, this is what I want to do. Can you start to process for this? And the, this gentleman actually started to process. Um, and then he made an appointment on Monday when his family doctor was going to be back in town to have this discussion with her. This was not new to her, by the way. He had already had these discussions with her that this was his plan, just the timing was. So um, I flew back to the Netherlands to be there for this particular meeting. Uh, we went into her office, sat down with her, and my dad essentially said, I can't do this anymore. Um, the pain is practically unbearable. He had lost his voice almost by that point as well. He was starting to get pain in his neck. So we knew the cancer was progressing. And he essentially told her, I can't do this anymore. I would like to start the process of uh, of euthanasia. Um, the doctor, essentially, because she knew him very well, she was on board with it. But it's not instantaneous. She says, yes, let's go ahead and do this. Right. Um, the process is that a second doctor has to basically give the green light as well. So what she does is she set up an appointment with a doctor we've never seen before who comes in and does what they call, she's what they call a scan art or scan doctor who will come in and do an interview with you to determine if, if indeed you are to the point where your suffering is unbearable and you have no prognosis of getting better anymore. Um, she came in on the Wednesday. Um, we sat down with her for about a half hour. And my dad basically very... Yeah, very animated and very passionately tells her that he can't do it anymore. Um, yeah, he's done with life and he wants to go before he can't make his own decisions anymore. Um, interestingly, she said she'd never met anybody like him, mm -hmm. right? Because most people are really on their deathbed. My, right. my, my father was not really on his deathbed yet. Yeah, I would think he probably had maybe one or two months left to go. He could still do things, but for him, life had become unbearable. So she essentially said, yes, I'm okay as well. Uh, on Thursday morning, then her, our family, their family doctor came in for another discussion, right? And yes. again, in the home environment to confirm how things were. And my father was, again, I don't want to do this anymore. Let's start the proceedings. And essentially, she was in agreement. Um, at that point, both the primary and the secondary doctors have signed off. So the process can be initiated. At that point, my father, of course, you know, at that point you go, I want to get it over with yes, now, right? Yes, i made so, this decision, yeah. Yeah, so, so he was, can we do it tomorrow, right? This was a Thursday. Mm -hmm. and, and, of course, his, his family doctor says, well, of course, this is very hard on us as well, right? So her indication was the first time that I can do this is on Thursday next week because I have no patience. I can do this as the only thing during my day so I can actually properly prepare. I can properly come down from it as well and work out for myself what that means. So in the end, you know, it was planned for the Thursday after. How many days was that then? Uh, like, was that well, a that's week? basically a, almost a week between, right? So, so it's a week and you know your dad, you're counting down the days then. Exactly, correct. How was that as a family? Because I know you were there with your wife and daughter and your sister and her family and grandchildren. Mm -hmm. What were those days like? You know what? They were actually really good days. Um, 
it was in the in the Netherlands. It's it's Pinkster. It's it's uh, Ascension Day. No, it's not Ascension Day. It's another holiday, but it's mm-hmm. a religious holiday, so it's a Monday off as well. And um, the whole weekend we were at home, spending time as a family, doing things as a family, and they were an incredibly great weekend for building memories. Uh, my dad still helped out a little bit in the yard. You know, he's. He's weak and tired. He can't work very long, but he still helped out. He would still, my, my parents have this beautiful gazebo in their backyard and they would, we would sit in the backyard, you know, having a beer and, you know, still enjoying each other's company. So that weekend was great. And the funny thing was, you know, my dad said on Thursday, I want it tomorrow. Yes. After the weekend, he came back and said, I was so happy we still had this weekend, right? Because everybody was there. Right. So it was really cool. It was a really cool experience. Um, And you don't really live emotionally to the day yet because somehow it doesn't sink in yet. Yeah. Um, By the time we got to Wednesday, because Thursday was the procedure date, Wednesday was the hard day. Right, because on Wednesday, you know, everything you do today is going to be the last time you do it with your father. So you have my mother and my father went out for yeah their last grocery shopping oh. trip. Um, See, they're grocery shopping. That's why people are having a hard time believing this story, right? Yes, so, yes it's it's hard to believe, right? right? Like my father, most people would have their the person would be on their deathbed. Yes. My father was still able to walk, to eat regularly. It was hard to eat. Right. He couldn't get his pills down anymore at the end because his esophagus was giving so much trouble. But essentially, he was still at a place where he could do things. Right. My father just comes from a place where if he can't truly enjoy life anymore, he doesn't want to do it anymore. Mm. And, you know, like I said, I think maybe he had one or two months left at this point. And he was of the opinion, if it goes to a place where, for instance, to my brain and I can't make my own decision anymore, for me, it's too late. I don't want to suffer anymore, is what he kept saying all the time. So So it's Thursday. What happens on Thursday? So on Thursday morning, um, essentially, uh, everybody was there, the whole family. Um, At noon, uh, a nurse came in to put in the syringe uh, or the needle, Mm -hmm. essentially, to be able to inject the chemicals that are required. Then... After that, he left. Um, that was the time where we had decided that my brother-in-law and my wife would take the grandchildren with them to not be there for the actual the clinical final, portion, yeah. for the mm-hmm. final portion. So they said their goodbyes. Um, yeah, you know, that was really hard, of course, on the children and on both my brother-in-law and my wife. Um, they left and then the doctor arrives at one o'clock. And um, beautiful woman, by the way. She was absolutely amazing. I can't say anything bad about this person, mm-hmm. how she treated us and how she went through this process. And at one o'clock, she comes. She sets up her, you know, syringes uh, on a table, sits down with us and talks, you know, are we still on the same place where, right. you know, my father wants to go ahead with this because he can change his mind at any time, right. essentially. And uh, we sit there and he says, yes, I still want to do this. So he sits in his own chair, the the chair where he sits every evening watching TV. And um, she essentially hooks up the syringe to the needle and asks again, are we ready for this? And, uh, you know, my father says yes and looks at my mother, myself and my sister. And we essentially we'd done everything we wanted to do. There, There was no time or need for long goodbyes here in our minds because we've had all this time with him. You know, I traveled back to the Netherlands eight times in the last 14 months just to be able to spend time with him. 
uh, did a lot of work with them to be able to talk about things out of our past. Right. And essentially, we sit there and we say, yeah, we're ready for it. So she starts the procedure, which essentially first injects a little pain medication because apparently the chemical is a little burning. So that goes in. Then she looks again and asks him, are you ready? And my father says, yes. He turns to my mother, looks at her very intently, and then she starts injecting the final chemical or the second chemical, and he just goes to sleep. Just like that? Just like that. He just goes to sleep. And after he's asleep, essentially they add a, uh, a muscle relaxant to essentially stop the muscle, which is your heart and your lungs. And the doctor actually left us alone with it. So just I- imagine this. So he's sitting in his chair. My mother is sitting essentially at his head. My sister is sitting kind of at his core. I'm sitting at his feet. We're all touching him while he's dying. Uh, and in that process, my mother is actually checking his pulse while she's sitting there just to wait for that. And the doctor goes out. She has some paperwork to do. And then she comes back to check if indeed he's passed away. And, you know, he's passed away. What was that experience like for you as a son? Um, I was initially, when he first wanted to start this process, he, I was angry, right? Because um, he was going to leave us. Um, after a while, going through this entire process, watching his suffering, um, that turned into a sense of pride that he was willing and had the strength to make this decision for himself to go, to actually go on his own terms because that's what he really wanted is to go on his own terms. He made all these decisions. He, it's not like he felt, you know, no regret around it or anything because he felt extremely sad and worried about what he's leaving behind. And, and one of the comments he always had was, you are going to have ones that are going to suffer after this, not me. I'm done suffering. You're going to have the hard time with me gone. So, um, but for me as a son, and I said this in my eulogy, I am actually proud of my father, right? That he actually was willing to do it on his own way, yeah, in this particular manner, which in the end, because we all did this together in this way, I feel satisfied with the entire process. Marco, thanks so much for coming in and sharing that story with us. No problem at all. Marco Vanson, and uh, just something to consider as we continue to see what happens with the physician-assisted dying bill in the Senate. Calgary Today with Angela Cocott, weekdays at 3 on News Talk 770 Calgary.